looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Gavin, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You keep it exciting and new each and every week, and this week was no exception. Thank you, my friend. And welcome to all of you to episode 56 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for episode one of my second year, (laughs) episode 56. But it's his first episode of my second year. How exciting is that? And we're all here together. So cool. Guess who else is here? Emmy Award-winning actor Ed Asner. What? Yeah, that's right. You heard correctly. Ed Asner. You loved him in Up, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Lou Grant, and a million other things he's done. And we're going to talk about his amazing book, Son of a Junk Man, My Life from the West Bottoms of Kansas City to the Bright Lights of Hollywood. Fun conversation with Mr. Asner coming up in just a few minutes. I do want to take a second to thank everyone who likes, subscribes, follows the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also catch all the episodes at jeffisfunny.com, my official website for the podcast. There you can also sign up for my mailing list. Sign up for my mailing list. I send out a weekly email with lots of great stuff in it. So you don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to be like, what's everyone talking about? Whoa, I didn't I didn't sign up for Jeff's email. Oh, you should have. There was some really great stuff in there this week. Can you share it with me? I don't know. If he wanted you to have it, he probably would have sent it to you. So if you want to avoid that conundrum, just go to jeffisfunny.com, listen to some episodes, sign up for my mailing list. There's links to all the podcast apps on my website as well, so you can subscribe or like or follow there as well. Check out the whole back catalog. Tons of great episodes await you. I do want to do a special shout out to my Twitter friend, who you looking at? Sent me some coffees via buymeacoffee.com slash Jeff Dewaskin Show. Thank you so much for that, helping me celebrate my one-year anniversary. Can't thank you enough. Speaking of enough, you know what I can't get enough of? Friends. That's right. Thanks, HBO Max, for a Friends reunion. Loved it. You know what my favorite part of it was? Seeing Larry Hankin reprise his role of Mr. Heckles. That's right. Larry Hankin. Wait, Jeff, didn't you interview Larry Hankin, Mr. Heckles from Friends? Yes, I did. Thank you for remembering. Episode 11 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show features the one and only Larry Hankin. Check that episode out. It's super awesome. Other things you can check out. Check out my live show every Wednesday, 9th 30 p.m. Eastern Time called Crossing the Streams. We're live on YouTube. Just search The Jeff DeWaskin Show. And we're also live on Facebook. Me and a bunch of my pals, we get together and we talk about TV shows and movies you should be streaming on one of the streaming services. You're always asking your friends, what should I be watching? Tune in to Crossing the Streams and you'll have so much stuff that you can watch. You'll never have to leave the house again. How great is that? Thanks, Jeff DeWaskin, for making me never have to leave the house again. You're welcome. 
You're welcome. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right, this is the part of the show where I share a little social news with you, little tips, tricks sometimes. So on Twitter, they're coming out with a new ad product aimed at all of us users. That's right, for $2.99, we're going to have something called Twitter Blue. That has such amazing features as undo tweets, color themes, and custom app icons. If you're thinking to yourself, Jeff, they're only charging $2.99 for that I know, right? <laughs> okay, just kidding. That was sarcasm. Right, so two ninety nine to undo a tweet. You know, there's a free version right now. It's called Delete the Tweet. Here's the reality. You can't undo anything on Twitter. It all goes into a database. Even when you delete a tweet, it still exists. It just can't be seen or searched by a normal person on Twitter. But it still exists. So I don't know about these things, uh, paying for app icons and color themes. Is that really important? Aren't those the things that eventually made MySpace completely unusable when people just had carte blanche over what things looked like? Keep it simple. Just use Twitter, microblog, and let's just keep it kind of easy. There's one thing called collection where you can organize your tweets. Say, here's my funny tweets. Here's my tweets that insult my mother-in-law. Here's the tweets that will insult you. So I don't know. So uh, I'm going to keep my eye on that, but just look out for that. It's If you're a power user and you got to have the latest toys and you got $2.99 a month to spare, boom, there you go. Twitter blues for you. And that's the social media tip. I do want to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week after week. I can't thank you enough. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And each and every week, you do not fail me. Thank you so much. The sponsors call. They're like, Jeff, you've got the greatest, most engaged fans in the world. I say thank you. They say we cannot keep a product on the shelf once it appears on Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I say you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. No, I say as many times as they say thank you. Anyway, but the point is, I, I, you guys are the best. Thank you for helping us keep the lights on each and every week. This week's sponsor, Donaldson's Department Store. Are you ready to start living? Is it time to let someone else do some giving? Are you ready to make it on your own? The world's awful big, but Donaldson's Department Store is just around the corner and ready to sell you the hat of your dreams. That's right. If you're looking for a hat, Donaldson's Department Store has got the hat for you. Blue knit beret, derby hat, kettle hat, floppy hat, pillbox hat, straw hat, sun hat, or cowboy hat. Whatever hat you need, we've got the hat for you. Each hat is 100% guaranteed to be completely tossable. That's right. If you can't get three to seven feet distance with your hat, then you get the Donaldson 100% money back guarantee. Come to Donaldson's department store. Get the hat of your dreams because you might just make it after all. All right. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm going to get a hat. I love my Detroit Tigers hat, but I think I'm ready for a new hat. This one isn't as tossable as I'd like. I like to spin around, toss it, and have everything just freeze frame for one second or two. I think I'm going to head down to Donaldson's department store. All right. I encourage all of you to as well. If you do, just tell them live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show sent you. And now without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Ed Asner. All right, ladies and gentlemen, excited to introduce my next guest, legendary actor, Ed Asner. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. It's nice of you to ask. Well, it's nice of you to be here. I'm uh, excited. I just finished reading your book, Son of a Junk Man, My Life from the West Bottoms of Kansas City to the Bright Lights of Hollywood. 
the nudes were exciting in that book, weren't they? Yes, I was surprised how many nude photos you did put in it <laughs> from all times in, during your career, too, which I thought was uh -huh. very, very brave. Yeah. <laughs> there was the nudes from my bar mitzvah. Yeah, with the tally. <laughs> yeah. If it weren't for the tallest, you would see everything. <laughs> Fringes excited me a lot. Well, yeah, I can imagine the way they would kind of just, with the wind hit them just right. That'd be perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize this was going to get X-rated this fast, but this is, uh, I I'm fascinated. You, you talk a lot about your Judaism. It's kind of spread throughout the book, and I love that. And I, I told my wife, I said, I love this book. And she says, why? I said, because on page three, he said Pesach. My grandfather made wine for Pesach. I go, I can't even imagine the argument he had to get in with the publisher to not say Passover. Like, no one's going to know what Pesach means. And it, I feel this book was written for me. I loved it. Uh, good. I'm glad. Of course, we've alienated all the non-Jews out there who might be doing this same podcast. So I'll bill you for all of those that we don't get. <laughs> well, I think they can figure it out. Just now that with Google, they can just Google Pesach. And they can uh, they can know exactly what you're talking about. What was it like growing up as an Orthodox Jew in Kansas City? Well, there wasn't much growing up without that. I mean, I went to Cheder. What does Cheder mean? School? Religious school. I went to Cheder every day of my life. We got an American-born rabbi while I was still young. He instituted rules that had me going. He also knew my father, who was Orthodox. If the rabbi said, shit, you would squat. It was uh, not easy to defy the rabbi, especially when he was giving you when he wanted you to come to school. So all my life, it seems, was spent going to public school, having friends if I could, and then immediately going to Cheder afterwards. Finally, I began to prepare for my bar mitzvah. Uh, I'd ride home with my dad coming home from the business, and we'd eat dinner, and that was it. I'd do the homework, and I'd go to sleep. There wasn't uh, much of a social life, which is why I'm such a social butterfly now. <laughs> you, you tell uh, an interesting story in the book about your grandfather making wine for Pesach, Passover, and then being threatened by a neighbor. Yeah, I, I imagine during due to prohibition, and then your father taking care of that for you, yeah. <laughs> for him. My, my father was a two-fisted uh, Yahoo. I never knew. I mean, he he laid his hands on my brother's butt. My brother was six years older than me. He used to uh, tease me and tease me and tease me. And finally, my dad would come upstairs and whack the hell out of my brother for uh, teasing me and disrupting his card game. And not until I was uh, a few years ago did my brother tell me the story that he had just heard of uh, my father whipping on competitors or people who challenged him on money. And uh, it was very exciting, except that I could have used that thrill and adulation of my father while I was growing up, it would have helped. Right. Well, I enjoyed the one story in the book about him uh, taking care of that for your grandfather. That was, uh, I imagine that person did not bother your family again. <laughs> yeah, my grandfather did not raise fists in offense at all. He was a uh, a Yiddish scholar. He died from a heart attack in Shul, as a fact. I'm sorry? I imagine it is orthodox. You guys probably you spent a lot of time in Shul. 
So I, ma- I imagine there's a story that you tell in the book about playing football on Col Nidre, which I assume that caused some strife in the fan. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Strife? Is that what you call it? I still show you the scars. Uh, I found out early we were signed to play Leavenworth, which is about 40 miles outside of Kansas City, 30 to 40 miles, on Col Nidre night. Now, as a Jew, you can skip anything. But you don't skip cold every night. So I said, oh, that's trouble. I mean, I was a tackle. And there were replacement tackles. A replacement tackle. The world would not collapse if I didn't play. So I mentioned that fact that we were scheduled to play on cold every night. And uh, my brother said, well, let's see if I can handle it. I had both my brothers working on it. They came up striking empty. And even my mother got enlisted. And uh, finally, Dad would leave earlier than I would for school. And as he left for going to, to the business, he hollered up the stairs and said, Eddie, I'm begging you. I don't want you to play. I said, all right, Dad, all right, all right, all right. And I would accept the dictates of the family from that. But everybody was in on the conspiracy. I came down to breakfast, ate it. Mom said, all right, now when you come home from school, come home immediately, eat your dinner, and get out of here before Dad comes home. I said, all right, all right, which I did. Everybody was interested in seeing that I was free to play football. Did what my mom said. I came rushing home, ate dinner quickly, Went and played football, and uh, as we prepared for the game, dressing, the uh, coach said, oh, listen, guys, I don't want you going out there and winning this for the city or for Wyandotte or the Board of Education or the Kansas City Zoo. I want you to go out there and win this for Eddie. Uh, okay. So we went out there, we beat their ass. I mean, Leverworth's a small town. And I realized that as I'm throwing blocks throughout the game, they didn't need me. Came home, the house was filled with celebrants of cold midday. My father was already in bed. As my brother passed the word, he said, everything's okay. All you got to do is get up early and go to show, put in a very early appearance. I said, right. well, you're, you're bone weary after a football game. So I dragged my ass out of bed very slowly, and my brother didn't rush me adequately enough. We arrived uh, the show late. My father saw us. He had a front pew, and he picked up his prayer book and moved to the back of the shoe of the synagogue. And my brother and I were left to look at each other and shrug. Finally, when the ram's horn was blown to signal the end of the first day of Yom Kippur, and my father came up to the front to collect his stuff, my my brother went to embrace him. My father took the embrace, and I, being the promulgator, of this offense, but uh, well, I gotta touch him somehow. So I, uh, I kind of shoved my way into his arms and uh, gave him a hug. And I had overcome the disgrace of playing on Colney Ray. 
Thank you for sharing the story. The acting bug kind of hit you in college, right? You wrote, you went to the University of Chicago. You started uh, acting in plays. Was acting something you always wanted to do and then you just kind of got into? Oh, I love to get on stage and be the center of attention. But I, I said I didn't think in terms of profession and being an actor. That was totally incidental to my life. I became an actor during my first year in college because I tried it, and liked it, and realized it could be a way of life. And I love doing it. In Chicago, you were part of the Playwrights Theater, which became Compass Players, which became Second City. You did improv as well. I had to, I would do it. I was not a pursuer of improv, but uh, many of my coaches and teachers found it to be the only way. Do you, you prefer like doing the plays like Murder in the Cathedral and Julius Caesar and Oedipus Rex and all those? Yeah. And then you, you moved to New York and you were in Three Penny Opera mm -hmm. with Jerry Orbach, Jerry Stiller, and John Aston. B. Arthur. And B. And B. Arthur? <laughs> oh, wow, that's quite a crew. And who else? Uh, Frank Perry was in for a while with me. Amazing. Anyway. Anyway. All right. So from there, you became good friends with Jerry Orbach. The great stories in the, in the book. And then you met your, your first wife, Nancy, there. I liked how she said, you said that she let you eat half her steak. That's how yeah. I fell in love with my wife, too. She let me eat, she lets me eat half her meals. <laughs> what kind of woman you want? Exactly, right? I cheated her out of half of the steak later on. Uh, God will punish me, I'm sure. I won't see the Golden Gates, I don't think. I think I'm, I'll be denied that. And I should be. I should be. Nancy didn't get her fair cut. Well, um, I didn't mean to put a note of fear in your body. Uh, I can't say same thing will happen to you. Possible that, that God will overlook your offense to your wife. It's possible. Not probable, but it's possible. Well, you've done so many other good things in advocacies uh, and charities, so maybe... Yeah, that'll well, that'll help get you in in the gates. I cleaned his spit off a blind man once when I when I spit on him by mistake, but when I cleaned him up. Maybe God will remember that one. I'm sure you got to work with Elvis a couple of times. That was interesting to read about. It was nice. It wasn't thrilling, but it was nice. And one of the times Mary Tyler Moore was in the movie Change of Habit with you as well. Was it that was before the Mary Tyler Moore show, or what was the timeline before? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, all right. So I was I was interested in your you worked with John Wayne, and he I mean, he called you a New York actor, which you took as kind of a slight. They automatically take it. It's a euphemism for for him instead of saying Jew, saying New York, New York actor. So I take it you don't you don't have much uh, much to say about John Wayne then in terms of uh... well, though uh, he was a leading anti-communist, and I'm a big liberal. I must say I I'm not drawn to him, and I. Uh, Kind of got a kick out of him. So I enjoyed him as much as I feared him. So it's a combination. And then Jimmy Kahn was in that movie with you as well? Yeah, yeah. I liked how you, you told the story, like how he liked it. He liked to aggravate John Wayne. Who, <laughs> Jimmy? Jimmy, yeah. Oh, oh, well, he got him in a conversation about some national position and uh, would make Wayne feel that we were being betrayed by the national government. So he sat there and uh, oh, I was on. And the, the main part of this, the discussion was that he had not been selected to play Patton, as George C. Scott was. Uh, and he just got madder and madder and madder. And as he got madder and madder, he'd take off his hat and he started whipping his thigh with a hat 
it was free of dust by the time they got through. <laughs> and you got to work with Jimmy Kahn years later in Elf. Yeah. Elf is one of our family's favorite movies. Will Ferrell was magnificent in it. Yeah, Will Ferrell's incredible. You were great too. The whole the whole movie. When I told my kids, I said, I'm talking to Ed Asner tomorrow. And at first I said, Carl from Up. And then they looked at me and go, oh, because they love Up. And I said, oh, and Santa from Elf. And they're like, you buried the lead. Because they, they love that movie. They love Elf. Oh, kids. My kids are 19 and 21. Are you kidding? You're that old? <laughs> ah, yeah. God, that's a disgrace. You look like a like a rosy-cheeked teenager. <laughs> Thank you. I figure I'm dealing with a kid here. I think I'm just a little younger than your kids. Yeah, a little younger. I'm always interested in like the events that happen that lead you to the things that you're most known for. You were in House of Green Apple Road. You played a sheriff. You de- you described it as a schmuck and a buffoon. <laughs> But Grant Tinker saw that, and Grant Tinker was connected with Mary Tyler Moore, and he introduced you to Jim Brooks and Alan Blaine's, and that's how you got the audition for Lou Grant. Why would we talk? You know my history. I don't have to talk to you anymore. <laughs> well, I want you to talk about the audition for Lou Grant. No, I went in, and I hadn't auditioned that much in my career. They had me read, and I... Uh, Read it. Jim Brooks said, well, that's uh, an interesting reading. And I mumbled something like, uh, yeah, well, it wasn't funny. Well, when we have you back with Reed, to, to read with Mary, well, all the stops out. You know, try every trick. Shrek, yell, yell, uh, do anything you can to uh, give it a uh, fullness. I didn't know what the hell he meant. So I said, no. I said, well, uh, when we have you back to read with Mary, try it that way. I don't know what he meant. So he said, uh, I said, look, why don't you have me try it that way now? And if I don't cut it, don't have me back. I don't usually talk like that when I'm auditioning or trying out for a play. So they were taken the back by my effrontery, he and uh, his fellow producer. Uh, and um, I said, well, we have another appointment who happened to be uh, uh Gavin McLeod, who ended up playing Murray. So he said, try it. I tried it, and I read it like a Michigander, crazy person. They laughed very, very nicely. Well done. And uh, as I left, uh, Jim Brooks said, read it just like that when we have you back to read Murray. So that was in a week to 10 days. I thought, what the hell did I do? Did I run over it and figure out crazily, crazily ran over it trying to figure out what, what was funny, what wasn't funny. So when I finally came back to read with Mary, and I read it as best I could to that original reading, or the second reading, and uh, I finished, and they laughed again. They said, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. So I, started, I left, and Mary turned to them and said, are you sure? And the answer was, they're Lou Grant. So go figure. Go figure. The rest is history. So, oh, I wanted to tell you, like, uh, you said Meshuganah, which is fine. Growing up, my brother used to always ask my parents, what's my Hebrew name? And I don't think they really knew his Hebrew name. They would always tell him it's Meshuganah. <laughs> so that always makes me laugh. So you spent seven years in an amazing cast. I mean, I, I mean, just besides even Mary Tyler Moore, Horace Leachman, incredible. Valerie Harper, Ted Knight, Betty White, Gavin McLeod that you mentioned. I mean, this is an amazing ensemble. You must have had the best time. Yeah, it's, well, what's amazing is that 
how, how do you figure? Ted is dead. Okay, we can accept that if we have to. But the ones that are dying around us are the women. But they're, they're reaching into the 90s now. Cloris is gone now. She was a hottie. Betty White is very fragile. Ted's wife, uh, you know who I mean. She's dead. It's uh, Mary's dead. Just Gavin and me left now. And Betty. And Betty. Betty's hanging on, too. You must have great memories though, of working with them. It must have been an amazing seven years. I mean, did you just with laughing a lot? and It was a life extender. I certainly wouldn't be my age if I didn't have that happiness that was built up in those years of working together. You said at the time Ted Knight was one of the funniest people like you'd ever met, period. Then I met Will Ferrell. It was even funnier. It must be a joy to be around people to make you laugh that much. It is. That show had three spinoffs, Rhoda, Phyllis, and Lou Grant, where then you went on to play the same character, but in a drama, winning an Emmy for both. One of the things that I read about in the book that I didn't know, actually, was after you ran and won for Screen Actors Guild president, the whole you were blacklisted in, in Hollywood. What is it like? What does that mean? Like, I, I mean, it means people wouldn't hire you. But I mean, how does how does that get determined? Like, just because of the the political differences and who keeps track of these kind of things? Like, because you said, like, I should be careful about laying around, laying out the word blacklist. To be blacklisted that occurred when people's names were actually on a list. And I said, do not use this creature. And everybody fell into lockstep and didn't hire them. Now, if I was on a blacklist, it was only by word of mouth, I would think. I was not on any official list. It started with the fact that uh, the, uh, the head of CBS got nervous about my being too pro-liberal. And uh, with going down to South Latin America and and uh, preaching against the uh, United States Armed Forces' involvement in uh, the governments of El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Guatemala, and the uh, just the general stench of influencing that we, we'd bring up Latins from Latin America and put them in at the uh, School of the Americas, which was in uh, uh, the South at the time. I can't remember where. They would be taught the hard-fought rules of oppression and, and being leaders in Latino land. So I, uh, I accused the, uh, the president of CBS of discrimination by uh, his cancellation of Lou Grant because of my involvement in preaching against this instruction at the School of the Americas. And uh, there were probably other prominent employers who were affected by his decision who then followed turn and did not hire me. How long did that go on where you felt people were trying to avoid hiring Ed Asner? Seven, ten years, I don't know. And then one of the interesting things, well, I read that Charlton Heston was a real thorn in your side. Yeah. In Clint Eastwood. And hopefully I was one on his side. I hope you were, because it sounds like he was a real son of a bitch. Yeah. It was interesting reading it now with all the political divide going on in the world now and in Hollywood. To, oh, this isn't new. You know, this is, you know, I wasn't as aware of anything happening. You know, I became much more politically aware in, in these last few years. And but to, to read in your book about this and the divide that you guys had, the pro Reagan, you know, liberal, you know, is it, it was really interesting to it was an interesting kind of point of view I was not aware of. I was absolutely not aware of. Probably because I was so young at the time also. But like I'm sorry I'm sorry you had to go through all that. It sounds like Martin Sheen was a good dude and uh 
put on an ad. And he was. I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> maybe he's waiting for you to put an ad out for him. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> But it was still nice that he did that. So, and then kind of like as you started to reemerge from what you felt was this blacklist with JFK, one of those roles, Oliver Stone bringing you in, getting to work with Jack Lemon again. What was it like working with Oliver Stone? Well, he's kind of shy and retiring. He, he's not a hail fellow well met type. It was great being with Jack Lemon again. He's a cutie. He's a nice man. I can imagine. I did. JFK is one of my, I love, JFK is one of those movies that, when it comes on cable, no matter where it's at in the movie, I will stop and watch that movie. I just, I love that movie. It's great. Aside from Carl and Up, which everyone knows, but you've done tons of voiceover work. I mean, they, they don't call me anymore. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with them. Well, you seem to, when I looked at your IMDb, you had like 19 things in pre production or filming. Oh, no, I'm not. You're, you're the busiest guy in the world. Those ingrates, they're such ingrates. Don't come. They're all taking a page from Martin Sheen's book. One question I wanted to ask I was, I was interviewing Jennifer Candy. She was in the movie In Vino with you. She had nice things to say about you and, and Sean Young. Everybody I ask about, Sean Young has a bad reputation, but you've worked with her a couple times now. Now. And anytime I talk to someone who's worked with Sean Young, they have nothing but the greatest things to say about Sean Young. Yeah, she's a nice girl. I, I didn't document what she's done to other people, but uh, I'll let those people defend her or attack her as they wish. I will never attack you played Santa a few times, <laughs> I, but Elf with John Favreau, and I know we've, we've kind of touched on Elf along the way here, uh, Will Ferrell being one of the funniest people, but also working with Bob Newhart. Right. So was was that just like, is you consider like that your career revival, like Elf, like coming back from everything? Or? No, uh, I think Elf certainly had a big boost. The two pictures, uh, those are the two pictures I hear from fans almost all the time. Up and, and Elf. I big, big short vowel pronunciations I give to the industry. Up and Elf or Elf and Up. <laughs> Well, you've had you've you've made, remained very uh, in culture all this time. Besides Elf and Up, I mean, even most recently, you're in Cobra Kai, which is one uh, Johnny Lawrence's father in Cobra Kai, oh. which is one of the most recent biggest pop culture sensations to date. And like you were in Dead to Me, I love that that series. You were great in Dead. To yeah, that's the other one. Yeah. Uh, I hear from those two, and I stare in amazement that people keep bringing this up from casual. Signature uh, requests. I found the rule of the rules somewhat unimportant and not uh, eternal. Uh, I'm just amazed that people single them out for connection to greatness. Well, I think it's just having Ed Asner at every stage of your life. When I talk to my mother-in-law, she's like Lou Grant from Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> you know, and I, my kids, you know, and then like, and then like, it's just always kind of knowing Ed Asner throughout the years. It's just great to see you pop up in all these things and like remain so relevant and and have every generation know who you are. I think that's that's great. Not everyone can. Not everyone has that. I'll be your modern Barcochba. <laughs> I mean, besides Lou Grant, what is the the main roles you would want people to think of when they think of you, other than the ones we just kind of talked about, which you didn't feel were the worthy ones? Oh, besides Lou Grant, I was leaving out a huge chunk. <laughs> well, when I first came to New York, I did Three Penny Opera, Mr. Peachum, for almost three years. That was a big part of my life then. 
So those are the areas of my life where I've been affected and I affected people. Oh, you've got a, an amazing body of work. And then do you still do the, the plays? Do you, you've gone back? Tour now with uh, a couple of plays that one was written for me by Ed Weinberger, who's a, a former producer, writer on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And that's called, uh, it's called A Man and a Prostate. It's a very funny, well-written piece. And the, um, the other play was written by Sam Joseph and, uh, Phil Proctor. And it's a political piece. I play God. It's called, uh, God Help Us. It's my attempt to bring back together a couple that, uh, fell out with each other. They were lovers for a while. But they fell out because of political differences. So I try to encourage them to walk in each other's shoes. It's funny, too. And then um, we're also going to be touring and making appearances with a new play called Two Jews Talking. Jamie Farr, MASH name, is uh, going to uh, do it with me. And we won't tell anybody that he's not Jewish. I was going to ask, is Jamie Farr Jewish? I didn't know. <laughs> we'll just tell people he's a Semite. <laughs> That's funny. That's, That's awesome. And then just to kind of to circle it back to the book in 2012 you did grace with paul rudd who wrote the foreword for your book son of a junk man also from kansas city also a jew yep yep perfect <laughs> bringing it full circle bringing it full mm -hmm. circle awesome so i did i did read in 1996 you were inducted into the academy of television arts science hall and fame and in 2001 you won the SAG Lifetime Achievement Award. The SAG got you back for that. <laughs> you've, you've had an, uh, an amazing career. Ed, you've got spunk? Yes, I do. <laughs> Don't let me hit you with it. <laughs> Can't thank you enough for uh, hanging out with me and uh, sharing some stories with me. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, good time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the book. Thank you, Ed. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. With you. <laughs> All right. How amazing was that? The legendary... Ed Asner, ladies and gentlemen. So exciting to talk to him. Definitely check out his book, Son of a Junk Man. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I do need to bring the mood down for just one second. Sadly, while I was putting this episode together, Gavin McLeod passed away. Ed had spent many years with Gavin, as he mentioned in the interview on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Ed Asner tweeted this tweet. My heart is broken. Gavin was my brother, my partner in crime and food and my comic conspirator. I will see you in a bit, Gavin. Tell the gang I will see them in a bit. Betty, it's just you and me now. Our hearts go out to all of Gavin's friends and family at this time of morning. Well, we're almost at the end of another episode, so you know what that means. That means it's time for the trending hashtag of the week. That's right. This is when we choose... A hashtag from one of the many fun weekly games on Hashtag Roundup. What's Hashtag Roundup? Hashtag Roundup is on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Hashtag Roundup is an app, a free app at the Apple or Google Store where you can play hashtag games with us all day, every day. And if you play, one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, The Jeff DeWaskin Show. That's right. Today's hashtag comes to us from Hangover Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. Hashtag fairy tale news stories. Oh, going into the newsroom. Little Lou Grant inspired news hashtag. But this one is also got a fairy tale spin to it. 
So how do you play? Hashtag fairy tale news stories. Make up a news story about a fairy tale. All right, let's get right to it. I'm going to read a bunch of tweets. As always, all these tweeters will be retweeted at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Twitter. They'll also be listed in the show notes. Show them some love. Give them a retweet and let them know you heard their tweet on Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. All right, let's do this. Here's some fun hashtag fairy tale news stories. This is Jeff DeWaskin, and you're listening to the Fairy Tale News Network. This just in, three pigs arrested for mortgage fraud. Looks like those three pigs are going to need a good lawyer. Great news for local favorite Sleeping Beauty. She's the new surprise face of Nightall. All her friends and family are extremely excited for her. In ruckus news, Tinkerbell got kicked out of school for not following dress code. Wings in a short dress, she has been told over and over again, are not appropriate school wear. In business news... Jack is set to become sole bean supplier to Taco Bell. Congratulations, Jack. We know you've worked hard. Word on the street, Ariel, in a tell-all book, regrets trading her voice for a pair of legs and is missing the sea. In unfortunate news, Rapunzel tries Gorilla Glue for the first time. <laughs> that didn't go well. At the mall today, ugly scene as Cinderella is confronted by her stepsisters. Looks like they wanted that glass slipper for themselves. This just in, TLC has announced a new series starring a woman living with seven men. In overseas news, Prince Charming's glass shoe factory has been accused of violating child labor laws. Prince Charming claims the employees are just elves. Police are investigating the illegal dark web trade in golden goose eggs. Many golden goose egg shells have been found around the area recently. Oh, and sad news, a local shoemaker has been prosecuted for employing unregistered night workers. Puff the Magic Dragon has unexpectedly been arrested for possession. His lawyers had no comment. And in the heartwarming category, a hero prince rescues a kidnapped orphan princess. Seven men have been arrested. And the final story for today's Fairy Tale News Network. The emperor has finally been charged with public indecency. Oh... All right, those are the hashtag fairy tale news stories for today. Another great hashtag roundup game. You can play along on Twitter at hashtag roundup. And one of your tweets may show up on live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Well, we're at the end of yet another episode. Can't believe episode 56 has come and gone. I had a great time with you. Thanks again to my amazing guest, Ed Asner. Check out his book. Check out Hashtag Roundup, and I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show, and we'll see you next time.